through 30. This morning we looked at an example of faith uh, from Hebrews chapter 6, the faith of Abraham. And I'm so very thankful uh, that um, the inspired writers through the Holy Spirit have given us great examples of faith to follow because it gives us encouragement. It gives us uh, a picture uh, of what to follow, of what to emulate, of what to imitate within our own life. Uh, and, and when we look at these examples, we can see what great faith looks, looks like in action. We can see what a faith that's pleasing to God looks like. We can see a faith that matters to God. And that's what this story is about. It's about a faith that matters, uh, looking at a, an example of an individual. Now, it's no accident that this story is placed where it is. Uh, we're going to dive into that in a minute, uh, but remember just very briefly what we've been talking about uh, previously. Uh, within the first 22 verses of Mark chapter 7, we've seen examples of superficial hypocritical faith from the Pharisees. They believed in uh, uh, cleanliness um, um, through uh, or, or uncleanli- uncleanliness through outward external things. Um, they had this hypocritical uh, superficial uh, faith. They were concerned with outward appearances and not internal matters of the heart, uh, which God himself is concerned with. Uh, but in this story we see what real faith looks like. We see a faith that matters, and what each and every single one of us should be striving for. And that is the story of Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, or the Canaanite woman, as as, um, Matthew's gospel renders it in in Matthew chapter 15. So let's dive into the text together. Look with me in verse 24 of Mark chapter 7. I have the words here on the screen. Verse 24 says this, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So in this story, Jesus, he leaves the land of Israel, probably Capernaum around the Sea of Galilee, and he he ventures into Gentile territory, the region of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, He he travels to uh, this location that is in uh, Phoenicia, uh, which is modern-day Lebanon, um, kind of northwest, northwest part of the Sea of Galilee there. And he, and he probably goes there because he's uh, fleeing uh, persecution of the Pharisees, the Herodians. They, at, this po- at this point, they want to kill him. Um, and they're coming up with plots. They're coming up with, uh, with, with scenarios and ways to get rid of this guy, Jesus, because they really don't like what he's what he's teaching. They're trying to discredit him. But at the same time, the Jewish people, they perceive him as a prophet, and they want to take him, as John's gospel tells us, they want to take him and, and make him, make him an, into a king by force. So you have these two conflicting ideologies, these two conflicting groups, one that wants to make him a king, one that, one that sees him as the Messiah that was prophesied about, and one that sees him as nothing but a heretic and wants to kill him and destroy him. So for a time he retreats, he goes to Gentile territory, to the, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And as I stated before, again, it's no accident, I believe, that this story, that Mark places this story here, 
in, in this location. Remember the previous story, as I mentioned before, uh, was about cleanliness and what makes a person unclean, what makes a person defiled. Uh, and Jesus, in that previous story, in verses 1 through 23 of Mark chapter 7, he kind of sets the record straight, and he shows us that defilement, that is being unfit for God, it originates on the inside of a person in the heart, not in outward external things like hand washings, um, as was used in the example uh, within the previous story. Now, in this story, we see Jesus setting the record straight again. Gentiles were considered unclean by the Jews. They were unfit for God, essentially. But Jesus shows us that Gentiles, too, are worthy recipients of God's grace. That's one of the messages that we see here in this story. And not only are they worthy recipients, but we see through one of them through this woman that we're about to see in the text, we see through one of them a model, an example of extraordinary faith, a faith that matters. Look with me in verse 25. But immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. It never ceases to amaze me how upside down the Bible is in comparison to our natural way of thinking, in comparison to the way we see uh, the world. Those whom you would never think in a million years to do anything extraordinary, to do anything worthy of God, turn out to be the heroes within the biblical story. And those who you think would be the heroes from a natural perspective turn out to be not so great. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29, when he says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, in our story, we see the same thing as uh, what Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We see a Gentile woman. She hears about Jesus. She hears about these miracles of healing and these casting, the casting out of demons that he has the ability to do. And, and Jesus was so famous. He was so famous at this point that, he, that his fame even spread to these regions, these non-Jewish, non-Israelite regions. Uh, and... Um, and even these Gentiles come to him seeking to be cleansed, seeking to be healed. And she's one of them. She comes to Jesus and she, as the text says, falls down at his feet. She grovels before him and uh, in, in complete desperation falls down at his feet. Now, if, if you know anything about the culture in this day... Uh, you know that this action of a Gentile woman falling down at the feet of a Jewish man would be a very bold thing to do. A, a, a Gentile woman 
being so assertive as to thrust herself in the way of this Jew, this Jewish man, a man who not only is just any ordinary man, but a man at this point whose fame and prominence are so great, she would have certainly gained a lot of attention and a lot of criticism for her action. And it kind of reminds me of the story of, you remember Queen Esther, the story of Esther when she approaches boldly the, the king and, uh, and pleads with him not to follow through uh, with this mass genocide of, 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 of her people. She boldly approaches the presence of the king to save her and her people, even though that she could have lost her life. And we see a very similar action in this woman as she boldly approaches the feet of Jesus. That's what this woman does. She boldly throws herself at the mercy of this Jewish man, Jesus, in complete and utter desperation. And she does so because her little daughter has an unclean spirit. She has a demon. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why that she has, uh, or, or, or rather, it doesn't tell us what the demon was doing um, inside of her, uh, but it's implied that it was awful. Um, we've already seen examples within the Gospel of Mark, uh, specifically in chapter 5, of the, uh, uh, the intensity uh, that, uh, that was caused um, that was inflicted on a person when a demon entered them. We've seen, we've seen the, um, the demoniac from Mark chapter 5, remember, who would, who would cut himself, uh, who would break, had, had superhuman strength and would break uh, bonds and chains and would cry out uh, with, with these loud screams, making everyone uncomfortable and being a threat to everyone around him and, and, and himself. Uh, so it doesn't specifically say what the demon was doing to this little girl, but it's implied that it's something horrible. So this Gentile woman, she sees Jesus as the only possible solution to her extraordinary problem. And that leads to this amazing boldness. She passes cultural norms. She looks beyond what's normal. She realizes Jesus is her only hope. And she approaches him with absolute boldness. And she not only boldly throws herself down at the feet of Jesus, she is persistent with that action. She persistently begs him, begs him over and over and over again. Notice with me in the text in verse 26. Verse 26 says, Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her. She begged him. Uh, focus with me for a moment on that word rendered begged in the ESV. Uh, this verb, this Greek verb in the original language, is in what's called the imperfect tense. Uh, now, when the imperfect tense is used, it means that the verb in, uh, in the spotlight is a recurring action. It's an action that happens continuously. It's an action that happens over and over and over again. 
If you look in the New American Standard Version, the New American Standard renders this verb, uh, the, the way that it renders it kind of helps us to, to see more clearly its original meaning. It, uh, the New American Standard renders this, she kept asking. She kept asking. She's asking over and over and over again. She doesn't stop. She doesn't cease. She boldly throws herself down at the feet of Jesus, realizing that this Jesus, he's it. He is her only option. And she persistently begs him and pleads that her poor little daughter might be healed, that this demon might be cast out of her daughter. She does this with persistence. Um, Now, I, I think that it's interesting. If you flip over to Matthew and you look at Matthew's account, In Matthew chapter 15, it says that Jesus uh, does something uh, very, very unusual, I think, um, as we look at the character of of Jesus. Um, Matthew's account says that Jesus completely ignores this woman as she is boldly throwing herself at the feet of Jesus and persistently begging, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. Jesus ignores her. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 23, it says, but he did not answer her a word. Jesus meets her pleas for mercy with nothing but stone cold silence. And if it were me, you know, I'm just seeing trying to put myself in the situation with my weaknesses and shortcomings in view. If it were me at this point, after, after I have pleaded and pleaded and pleaded, and this most famous person just looks at me and says nothing and ignores me, me, I'm probably going to say, that's it, I'm going home. But that's not what this woman does. And that helps us to see the kind of faith that she has. She keeps pleading. She's persistent with her petition. She keeps asking. She keeps begging. She keeps persistently pleading for her daughter to be healed. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. As Jesus looks at her square in the face, saying nothing, doing nothing. And if there was anything that you think would stop her from pleading and just go home, it would be this next statement that Jesus says. Look with me in the text at verse 27. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, this is almost kind of shocking I believe. Is Jesus being offensive? Is is Jesus being insensitive here? Is Jesus being rude? Is Jesus being cruel in a way? You know, this passage has puzzled many Bible students in the past, and many people have tried to come up with explanations of how Jesus, uh, trying to lighten the mood and and, and explanations of how Jesus didn't, uh, the, the, um, the, the, uh, 
the, the brashness um, the, the, in the way that Jesus comes across, he really didn't mean what he said. Um, this is a very puzzling passage as we look at it um, in, 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 its, in its raw form. Um, and it makes many people ask, you know, why did Jesus have to say it like that? Why did he have to word it that way? Why, why, did, why, why, why did he have to be so rude and call her refer to her as a dog. I mean, isn't, isn't Jesus kind of the embodiment of love? Isn't he uh, respectful to all people and this, um, this loving person? Why did he have to belittle this poor woman who's broken and pleading to him for help? That's, what, that, that's, the, that's the question. Those are some of the questions that many people ask when they look at this text and they look at Jesus' response. Now, as we attempt to understand this, I think, and, and wrap our minds around this, I think it's helpful to know, uh, first of all, that when Jesus says this, when Jesus replies in this way, he's making a theological statement in his reply. Uh, and that's more clearly seen in Matthew's account. Uh, we, we, we see that Jesus' mission was to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the Jews, first. And uh, who would then, after his death and burial and resurrection, who would carry the message to the ends of the earth? Uh, Matthew's account in Matthew 15 says, uh, Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the point is that Jesus' mission to give the bread of life to the children of Israel, he was to give it to them first. And then the Gentiles, who were referred to as dogs by the Jews. That's the plan. That's the pattern. The gospel would come to the Jews first and then extend to all of the world. All nations would be blessed through the family of Abraham. But still... This statement and this response, it's puzzled many people as, as to why Jesus had to say it the way that he said it, because it almost sounds kind of cruel. And in my estimation, I don't believe that, in my estimation in viewing this, Jesus isn't trying to be cruel. He's not trying to be insensitive. He's not trying to belittle this woman and make her feel insignificant and worth, worthless He's testing her. He's testing her. He's searching the depths of her heart to see what kind of faith she displays, to see, to see what kind of faith that she possesses. Is this faith that she has, is it real? Is it a faith that matters? Or is it a superficial faith and a hypocritical faith like we've encountered previously in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 7? like that of the Pharisees. And this, and all that testing and that searching through this statement, this is what she finds. He, he finds. And this is absolutely remarkable, I believe, her statement. Look with me in verse 28. This is how she answers. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. This is an outstanding reply. This is a, an amazing reply. Jesus says, remember what Jesus says previously, Jesus says, the children, 
need to be fed first. It, it, it's, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And essentially what he's meaning is that he's saying, Dear woman, I came to minister to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's my mission. That's why I'm here. It wouldn't be right for me to feed the Gentiles first, just like it wouldn't be right to feed the family pet before you feed the children. And what's so outstanding and remarkable and amazing about her reply, and this is where we see her faith, is that she agrees. She agrees with Jesus' statement. And she essentially says, Yes, Lord, I agree. I agree with you. It wouldn't be right. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be right for you to neglect your mission of feeding the children of Israel just like it wouldn't be right to feed the family pet before feeding the children. But... Even the family pet, she says, essentially, is allowed to eat the leftovers that fall from the children's table. Now, this woman, what's going on here? This faith-filled Gentile woman, she recognizes her place in God's scheme of redemption. That's what's going on, I believe. She isn't boisterous. She isn't brash. She doesn't allow her pride and her ego to make her offended by God's plan to bless the Jews first and then the Gentiles. She very well could have been that way. She very well could have had the reaction, oh, well, fine, I don't want your blessing anyway if that's the plan. If you Jews think you're oh so very special as for God to bless them first and then come to us second, she could have had that attitude. But she didn't. She's humble. She says, Jesus, essentially, she says, Jesus, I accept my place in your plan, in your scheme of redemption. But if it's possible, could you just give me a leftover, just a little leftover of the children's blessing so, so that my little girl may be healed? Because you are the only one who can heal her and give her freedom from this horrible, horrible crisis. She expresses great faith through humility. That's the point of her reply. She expresses an extraordinary level of humility as she recognizes her place in God's plan, in God's scheme of redemption and still pleads, and still comes to the feet of Jesus, recognizing his ability and his alone to give her freedom. And this is how Jesus replies. Look with me in verse 29. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter, and she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. If you look in Matthew's account again, Jesus says in Matthew 15, 28, he says, great is your faith to this woman. Great is your faith. And if you look at that expression, great is your faith, the way that Jesus uses it, it's only used 
a very select few amount of times within the life and ministry of Jesus when he commends someone and marvels someone for their great faith. Jesus says that this kind of faith that this woman displays, this very humble faith, is outstanding. Jesus says that it goes well beyond what you normally see and what he normally encounters in his ministry. It's a faith that matters. And Jesus gives her what she asks for. Now in this story, let's, uh, let's bring this to a conclusion. Um, what does this mean for us? We see through this story, a very, through a very unlikely source of a faith that matters. We see through this woman a bold faith. She discounted all cultural norms and fell down at the feet of Jesus in complete bold desperation, realizing that he's the only one that can help her, that can save her daughter. Remember what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. In verse 14 of Hebrews 4, it says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then it says in verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Jesus is our high priest, because Jesus has become fully human and fully God and sits at God's right hand and interceding and mediating on my behalf and knows exactly what it's like to be me, I can be bold. I can be confident as I approach his throne of grace and I can find mercy to help in time of need. That's a kind of faith that matters. That's an example of the kind of faith that God is looking for. A faith that matters is a faith that believes that God is the only source of true healing, of true salvation, and based upon that belief, boldly approaches him for help in time of need, recognizing his mercy, recognizing his grace. That's a faith that matters, a bold faith. Secondly, what we see from this woman, we, we see through her a persistent faith. She keeps asking, she keeps pleading, she keeps begging Jesus for help because Jesus is the only way out. Jesus is her only option she realizes she's like the persistent widow, remember, of Luke chapter 18 that goes to the unrighteous judge and keeps begging and pleading, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And the, the, un, the, 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 the unjust judge you know, finally says, okay, fine, I'll give, it, I'll, I'll give it to you because you keep asking, because you're so persistent. That's the way this woman relates to God. She keeps approaching his throne with persistence and boldness. She keeps pleading and pleading and pleading. That's the kind of faith that matters, that God's looking for. A faith that holds on to Jesus 
and keeps coming back and keeps coming back to him no matter what. Faith that is persistent. And lastly, what we see through this um, blessed woman is that we see a humble faith. A humble faith. She realizes her place. She realizes her place in God's plan, in God's scheme of redemption. She doesn't respond with pride or arrogance, saying, you know, why do you go to those people first and not come to me? Do you not think I'm any better than they are? That's not the attitude that she has. She agrees with God. She humbles herself. She realizes her brokenness and her unworthiness. And she approaches God with humility. That's the kind of faith that God is looking from each and every one of us. A faith that's humble, that realizes the character of God as one who will give blessings to those that are unworthy when they cry out to Him in faith. So I'll leave you with a question. What kind of faith do you have? Do you have a superficial, hypocritical faith that we see within the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians uh, earlier in Mark chapter 7? Or do you have a bold faith? Do you have a persistent faith? Do you have a humble faith? Because that's the kind of faith that matters. And that's the kind of faith that all of us need to be striving to imitate within our own lives. Tonight, if anyone has need, if, if, you're, if you're not a Christian tonight, we encourage you to, uh, to come forward uh, in, uh, at, at the, the singing of this song or text the number that FH uh, made known uh, a little while ago. We encourage you, if you're not in Jesus, uh, you can make that right tonight. You can know the Lord Jesus Christ. You can believe on Him, repent of your sins. You can come forward and confess your faith publicly and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and begin a relationship with Jesus. Uh, if you have need tonight, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing.
Josh Davidson comes before us this evening just asking us to pray for him, for, uh, for God to help him 